Good morning. We want to uh, continue our studying, study on missions this morning, and so I want to begin by reviewing the first four lessons so we can see kind of what we've looked at so far and then uh, move into today's topic. <coughs> so far we've seen that God's all-consuming passion is to glorify Himself by making His name known to all the nations. And the primary way that He does that is by showing mercy to sinners. The reason for missions is that God wants to be glorified around the globe, and the only way that He will be glorified is through the spreading of His Word. Uh, or I should say the primary way that He will be glorified, because ultimately God is glorified in judgment as well as in blessing. The means by which God spreads His fame is through His His people, and so we are commissioned to make disciples of all all nations. And since Jesus is the only way, no one can come to salvation apart from Jesus. No one can come to salvation apart from hearing about Jesus. And so we need to tell them, and that's why the the um, that's why missions is so critical. That's why we need to be a part of it. The role of the local church in this is one of uh, support and accountability and uh, training and um, oversight. And um, it's the means and the goal of missions. There is no such thing as a rogue missionary, one who is self-appointed. Uh, missionaries are sent out from the local church, and so the local church is vital to the purpose of missions and the goal of missions. And the goal of missions is, is uh, ultimately not to make converts. Uh, that's part of it. But the, the ultimate goal of missions is to do what? Establish churches by making disciples, right? So, so obviously we need to make converts. We need to see God change people's hearts, but we, that can't happen and, or, or that's not enough. We haven't done enough if we've just seen people come to Christ. And the same thing is true here as well. Alright, so now we've been t- talking several weeks about, what a mi- what, uh, about missionary work and how, it, how we've seen it in the Scripture. How would you describe a missionary? Because kind of assumed that we all know and we agree on what a missionary is, but but let's just kind of tease that out a little bit. How would you describe a missionary? What's the difference between a missionary and just an ordinary Christian or even a mature Christian? What's the difference between a missionary and a pastor? What makes a missionary a missionary? Okay, one who's called by a local church. I think that's part of it. Okay, I agree with that. Um, but let me just play devil's advocate and say that I know pastors like that here in the States. So, is a pastor a missionary? How's that? Okay, so he's going to a place that potentially has never he- heard. Bill, did you have something to add? Mike? Good. So, let's think about this. 
I, I think there is a difference between a pastor and a missionary. Okay, I, I'm not a missionary. Um, but could a person come from another culture to the United States and be a missionary? Okay, we have a huge um, Middle Eastern population uh, in in our area. Could a person come from, let's say, Yemen, and decide to plant a church uh, in the United States, or could he come even in in uh, be a missionary to English-speaking people. And I think absolutely uh, he could. So um, we, we sing a song, you know, be a missionary every day, you know, whether in the town or country or in a busy avenue, it's more of a kid's song, but um, the task is up to you. So we all can be missionaries. And I think the principle of that is good, that we ought to be thinking about reaching people for the sake of Christ. Paul, do you want to add something before I give the... Yeah, and here and here's where I think the best explanation of a missionary that I've heard is that it is a person who is crossing a culture for the express purpose of planting churches. Now, there are other parts of mission work besides planting churches. Uh there could be someone that may be involved in hospital work or in, you know, some sort of social aspect and things, but I think the primary thing that missionaries are supposed to be doing, uh at least the central part of missionaries missionaries work is is uh, is planting churches. And then another part of that is one that is sent or called. I think, um, was that Mike that brought that up, Jonathan? Okay, someone that's sent or called by a church. Okay, someone who's sent or called by a church going to cross a culture, even Detroit, I think is a good example because there we have a different culture. We have a different people group and um, lots of different people groups, in fact. And the express purpose is to establish churches. All right. So I just wanted to kind of just uh, talk about that here to begin with because I think we kind of just assume everybody knows what missionaries are, but um, it's helpful just to hopefully um, think about a proper explanation. Keep in mind that the word missionary is not in the Bible. Um, so this is just something that, that we talk about, that someone that's going out to do the mission of Christ and to go out and follow the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. Um, so, so a person that goes across their street, as the song says, um, not ne- necessarily a missionary, unless there's a different culture across the street. All right. So this morning, we want to think about suffering and prayer and what suffering and prayer have to do with missions. And if you have a copy of the book that, that we've been using, I, I think these two chapters on suffering and prayer are very helpful. Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And uh, they really uh, go, and they they really provide more application than just for missions. So let's talk about some of these things. Let's first consider suffering. Why does the gospel tend to go forward into areas accompanied by suffering? Why is it then when the gospel tends to reach a place, maybe think restricted area, restricted access countries like in the Middle East, some of the countries there that don't allow for churches to be established. Uh, at least, uh, at least uh, publicly, they will um, either put you in jail or re- remove you, or, or even worse, they could they could kill you. So why is it that suffering is connected with the spread of the gospel? Think about um, uh, Jim Elliot and Nate Saint when they wanted to spread the gospel to the Aka Indians. They had to give their lives in order for the gospel to reach them, uh, and eventually it did. Uh, think about all the way back to. The Apostle Paul in Ephesus with the riot that that started there and the persecution 
in Thessalonica in Acts 17. You see, opposition and suffering have always been a part of of um, Christian missions. It seems to, as the, the mission goes forth, there is serious suffering. Consider the example of Adoniram Judson. He was in Burma. He lost two wives, married one, then she died, then another one, she died. Seven out of 13 children. And uh, several of his own, his closest friends, think of, uh, you know, Mike Jewell, who was robbed at knife point in his own home. And, uh, of course, the Cuthbertsons, who were forced to leave Liberia because of political unrest uh, about a decade ago. And uh, to the stories of hundreds and thousands of missionaries who have been beaten and, and who have starved and who have lost children and been imprisoned and lost their health and, and even died as a result of going forth with the Gospel. The history of the Gospel and its advance is one that is connected with suffering servants. And so I'd like to think about God's desire regarding suffering by asking three questions. Number one, who is, who is the cause of suffering? Who causes suffering? Why does the Gospel often progress with suffering? Who is the cause of that? Turn to Acts chapter 4. Part of the answer is that Missionaries suffer because God has planned for them to suffer. The Bible does not limit the suffering of believers to um, God's permission. That is, well, God just allows it, kind of like He allowed Job, but but that actually God plans it. It's an outworking of His will. Would someone read verses 27 and 28? Okay, so these people who were responsible for the death of Christ, but God's taking responsibility in a different sort of way. They're taking responsibility in that they're culpable for their sin and they will they will uh, be punished for their sin. They will, they will uh, have to make restitution. Ultimately, they can't, but but in in an eternal hell. But but verse twenty eight says to do whatever your hand, God's hand and purpose had determined. To do, so this is more than just God saying, "Okay, it's it's okay for you to do this," but rather it was a part of His plan. He's not passive in allowing suffering. You know, sometimes we think of God, and when it comes to suffering, well, He's just kind of sitting back and allowing that to happen. But actually, God has planned that this suffering would occur, and um, and uh, even to the point where these evil men carry out their evil purposes. So we would say that that in the ultimate sense, it is God that causes suffering. So what is the spiritual benefit of suffering? Um, There are several that that John Piper points out in his book, and we'll just go through these quickly. So We've got a lot to cover today. Number one, deeper faith and greater holiness. Deeper faith and greater holiness. Certainly you recognize this in your own suffering, even if it wasn't as a result of, of the spread of the Gospel. Um, that, that when you suffer causes you to, to trust in God more, to, to release your grip from the world and hold stronger to God and the things that He has promised. Number two, a greater longing for heaven. And there are several... I think I have references. Yeah, you can look those up in your uh, in your spare time. Number three, greater courage by other believers. What happens when when Christians see other Christians suffer? And doesn't it make us bolder for 
for the sake of the gospel that, wow, if that person's doing that in that part of the world or even this person that's doing that in, in our church, then what am I doing? You know, I, I'm I'm getting concerned that, you know, they they cut into my, my sporting event with a news bulletin and I didn't get to see the end of it. That's, that's my kind of suffering. Um, number four, geographical movement. Remember, this happened in the book of Acts. When suffering happened, it actually caused the spread of the gospel to go to move geographically. Remember, uh, it started out in Jerusalem, and then these men, as they were being persecuted, started to spread out, and all of a sudden you have the voice of God going out to Judea and Samaria and Illyricum and Thessalonica and all sorts of places um, because of that. Number five, magnification of the power and worth of Christ. And this is really the biggest one, magnification of the power and worth of Christ. Um we start to understand more the value of... In fact, turn to Matthew 13. Look at this parable that Jesus gives because this is a helpful um, explanation of what makes the Gospel so valuable to us. So, God, God causes the suffering. God allows and causes the suffering, and He does that in order to glorify the worth of the Gospel. We start to understand more clearly why the Gospel is important. Would someone read verses 14 to... Uh, I've got... I'm in Mark. Okay. Mark, can you turn to Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46? Someone read that. Okay, so here we have two things of great value, two hidden treasures that are measured by what you're willing to sell in order to gain it. The worth of the pearl is measured by what he was willing to sell. What was he willing to sell? In verse 45, everything. Everything that he had in order to get this pearl. So what does that tell us about the pearl to him? And he understands the value of that, right? And so for us, the worth of God's program is very obvious not by how thankful we are to get the stuff that we want, but by what we'll gladly give up in the course of our life in order to get what God wants, in order to dedicate ourselves to this program. What is it that we're willing to give up for the sake of something that we see as valuable? And what we're saying with regard to missions is that God's glory being proclaimed by all the nations is something of great value and is something that's worthy of giving up everything that we have. And so this is really one of the great reasons for suffering. So in these verses, we could we could see the suffering being the selling everything that he had. He's willing to give up the things of greatest value to him in order to get something of greater value. So in our case, we would be willing to give up, you know, our perfect health and all of the, you know our our just um, you know uh, perfect life and so on in order to uh, to get something of greater value. So, when Christians delight in God, they are willing to give up personal loss so that the Gospel can become clear to unbelievers. And uh, this is really uh, part of the main point of the book of Job. Remember, Satan accused Job of loving God only because of the stuff that God had provided for him. But Job was persevering in obedience to God in the face of staggering loss and and he proved Satan to be a liar once again. 
that Job was not serving God because of the things, and he was willing to give all that up in order to maintain that relationship with God. All right, so God is working to glorify Himself, and uh, He uses suffering in order to strengthen our faith, in order for us to look forward to heaven more, more clearly, and uh, in order to build greater courage among believers, to move us to different places many times, and then to magnify the worth of Christ. All right, who is it that suffers? Here's the third question we want to answer with regard to suffering. Who who is it that suffers? Is it normal for Christians to suffer? And your blank is normal, so I'm saying yes, it is. Um, it is normal for Christians to suffer whether you're a missionary or not. Um, John 15.20 says, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, then they will what? They will also persecute you, right? So Jesus warns his disciples that that persecution will come. Turn to First Peter chapter four. Our association with Christ means that we will be persecuted. Look at verse one. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, if Christ has suffered in the flesh, the point here is arm yourself. Get ready yourself because you're also going to suffer. Then skip down to verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. So, what is, what is Peter saying here? If you suffer, don't think of it as something strange or odd, but something that's actually normal for Christians. We ought to arm ourselves, prepare ourselves for suffering because it is inevitable for Christians to suffer. So what kind of reaction should we have? Um, How can we apply these truths to our lives? Any questions on suffering so far? Greg? Uh, yeah, as long as you're alive, there will be suffering. Um, in one level or another, we're going to talk about some of those here in just a second. But uh, yeah, as long as we are on this earth, you know, Romans talks about creation groaning for the time when the Lord will come and make all things right. Because right now, the world's upside down. The righteous suffer and, and the wicked tend to prosper. You know? Yeah, so either death or the rapture is when our suffering will finally end. Yep. So we know that heaven is a place where there is no suffering, no sorrow, no sickness, no dying, right? So, is this something that should cause us to despair? Uh, what, what ought we to think about suffering? The proper reaction to suffering, if you read through the book of Acts and Hebrews and so on, you'll find that when believers suffer, they rejoice. The apostles of Acts 5 left Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of the gospel, worthy of suffering disgrace for His name. You see, they, they're happy to suffer. Why? Because they have their eyes fixed on something greater, something that lasts beyond this life. And while the, there is some sense of comfort and satisfaction in a, a suffering-less life, a life without suffering, um, the greater satisfaction that we get is knowing that, that they're uh, that we will be pleasing to our Father and we'll be able to enjoy the benefits of that in the life 
to come. And so that means that we need to be careful with how we think about suffering. Uh, so let's think about this for a second. Should we as Christians actually choose to suffer? Should we choose to suffer? Uh, maybe one thing to determine that Christians should be willing to accept suffering, but should we deliberately choose to suffering? And Piper answers that in two ways, yes and no. Okay, first, no. We should not be foolish enough to, you know, to tempt God. And you know, even Paul, when when he was being persecuted by the Roman government, remember what he did? He appealed to Caesar. He said, basically, you know, I'm going to go and and use the means that I have within the the Roman government to appeal what they're trying to do from him. Remember earlier on in his life when his friends hid him. So it's not that we need to run into suffering. We need to seek out suffering. But in another sense, we do need to to choose suffering in the sense that Christ promised that we will suffer and part of being a Christian is suffering so in that sense we are choosing to suffer. Okay, do you understand the difference between the those two that that we're not just running into it and looking for you know looking forward to it and and putting ourselves in situations where we have to suffer but in the same time we're willing to put the things of the world aside and Follow Christ no matter what the cost, which means there's going to be suffering. All right, what about another question? Do you have a question or comment? Right. Yeah, primarily it's going to be with regard to the gospel, but as Christians, we're going to suffer with all the other results of the curse as well. So. Um, both of those, I think, need to be in mind because like Adoniram Judson, like we talked about at the beginning, you know, he lost two wives, seven children, you know, friends. And was that connected to the gospel directly? Well, might not have happened if he stayed, you know, back home. Um, but going to Burma and taking on some of those diseases, and that way he chose suffering for himself. And and um, so, so we will, you know, because... So, so it's not always directly or even for Adam Judson indirectly connected to the gospel, but that's the best kind of suffering, by the way, right? Because we, sometimes we suffer for doing wrong. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But what I would call suffering for the gospel or innocent suffering, right? That we're just going about our lives, we get cancer, somebody in our family dies, something like that. Those kinds of sufferings are, are what I'm talking about. So that's good clarification. Um, Sandra. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, we sing a song, Rejoice in the Lord, because He makes no mistakes. He knows exactly what's going on. He's planned what's going to happen in our lives, and that suffering's a part of it. So we we should be uh, thankful to God. You know, Paul says, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known with thanksgiving. Right? So, all right, next question. Should Christians choose to do uh, things that will result, that will cause suffering in other people? Okay, so this is one. This is another step further. It's one thing to choose suffering for ourselves, but should we choose suffering for others? So, for example, um, we had a, a young man that came to our church a couple of years ago and wanted to hear about the gospel. He was from Iran. His name was uh, Amir Sanaye, and and uh, and there was a 
clear opposition with his family for for even pursuing the things of Christ. And he knew that. So, so for us as a church, was it wise for us to lead him to a position where he understood the things about Christ, which would also necessarily lead him to a place where he's ostracized or maybe even worse by his family? And the answer is yes. Because we recognize, remember that pearl? We recognize the great value of the pearl for them that even for us, you know, when we turn to Christ, most of us, maybe all of us, it didn't require us to cut ties with our families completely. But we know that other parts of the world, if we go to the Middle East or something where um, where that sort of thing is is uh, against their religion and maybe against their law, that, that it is actually right of us to give them something of greater value, even if it costs them their life. So should we cause suffering in other people? Well, we know that the, the problem, the persecution that they're facing or the the danger that they're facing if they don't turn to Christ is much greater than the danger they face in this life, right? And what is that greater danger? It's spending eternal hell, right? Spending their lives in an eternal hell. We haven't even gotten to prayer yet, and I need to keep moving. So, um, preparation for suffering. In order for us to prepare for suffering, we need to know the worth of the Gospel. Okay, so... When we understand the value of that pearl, that hidden treasure, then we're happy to give up everything that that was of value, of any value to us, in order to pursue that that great goal, which is the gospel. Number two, make your lifestyle match your hope in the gospel. Uh, I, I think back to Paul in Philippians when he said, "Let your gentleness be known to all men," and that kind of sounds silly. It's almost like let make people know that you're humble and gentle. You know, it's it's almost anti. It's almost a, an oxymoron, but the point of that is, in order for that to happen, you need to be gentle. And I think the same thing is true here. If you if you want the gospel to to just shout and to shine, then you need to make sure that your lifestyle matches. If you're living in sin and and uh, and uh, you know calling other people's out of it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them. They they can see through that very clearly. Number three, count the cost. Suffering is going to happen. Overse- going overseas, going across the culture will result in suffering. But but you ought to co- count the cost, just like you did when you came to salvation. And um, that suffering may take different forms. It might be death, like Stephen faced or Paul faced. Um, it might be some sort of threat on a physical level. I'm sure you've heard of a number of missionaries who've had serious health problems as a result of being in a foreign field. Um but for us, sometimes the worst thing, if we go into missions, is that because we have such a good government and such, you know, so many good American embassies around the world, that the worst thing that they generally would do to an American is to expel them from the country. So our suffering may not come in the same form of of the Apostle Paul or some other people in the world when they would go in, into missions. But but we ought to consider that that the, perhaps we could have to give our lives for the sake of of the gospel. Um, what about the comforts that we have to give up? Maybe we have to, you know, take our kids and put them in a a, a school that's not as good as it would be here in the states. Maybe the healthcare is, well, maybe the healthcare is on par with with ours now. But but uh, in general, the healthcare might not be as good over there. Um, uh, there's all sorts of things that we need to consider when we when we um, 
when we think about the suffering that's going to take place with regard to the work of missions. But ultimately, these types of things shouldn't make us put us into despair or scare us from missions. We should be cultivating a spirit of trust and, and thankfulness for His grace. And then here I think is a big one. This is not just for missionaries. I think this is for all of us, and that is cultivate a spirit of thankfulness, not entitlement. If we live with an entitlement mentality that we deserve something, then we are going to be very miserable in life. Um, because really, when we think about entitlement, we ought to consider what we were entitled to um, w- apart from Christ, right? If we got everything that we deserved, where would we be right now? We'd be in eternal hell. So, so all of these, all of these uh, expectations that that we put upon ourselves because, hey, this other person's getting this. Why don't I get this? We need to consider what we deserve. We deserve to be uh, suffering for our sin in eternal hell, even now. But because of God's grace, we've gotten much more than that. We've been removed from His wrath. And um, so, shed the entitlement mentality, particularly if you're going to go into missions, because um, you you may lose much more than, than even you expect. Any questions on suffering? All right, I'm going to keep moving. So if God is sovereign in missions, why should we pray? And and I think this chapter here is worth the price of the book. Piper calls prayer more like a wartime walkie-talkie than a domestic intercom. Okay, what what are domestic intercoms generally for? Okay, you watch some of these uh Downton Abbey or some of these shows, they got the little bell they ring and they just get everything come to their service. That's kind of how we use prayer, the domestic intercom type idea. That God, here's the bell. We ring the bell. God, you know, I'm ready for you to give me more things. And what Piper's saying is, no, we need to recognize we're in a battle. And when a soldier's out on the field, some of you have been in battle before, and a soldier's out in the field, you don't use the inner, you don't use the walkie-talkie in order to order things. You know, send me a couple Snickers up the front line, right? Um, it's it's for serious uh, serious problems that are happening on the field. You want to have and you want to maintain that communication with the commanding officer so that so that everything's going properly on the field. And this is what we're supposed to be using prayer for primarily, not as a means. Again, this is back to the entitlement thing um, that we tend to use prayer generally for getting things, and we ought to pray for things, right? Do you, you know. Uh, the scriptures say that that you don't have because you don't ask, right, James? Um, but but the reason we ought to pray is because it proves the supremacy of God in missions. And uh, we don't have time to turn to all these passages, but but one of the ways that God is glorified, the primary way that God is glorified, is by showing mercy to His people. And the way that He shows mercy to His people is by answering His prayer. Who, which father would not love to give good gifts to his his son? Right? This is God. He wants to give us good gifts. He wants us to pray to Him. He wants us to ask. And so we need to um, to use prayer in that that mean for the for those means. Um, we must pray. Let me see what this next one is here. Prayer essential to God honoring missions. Um, 
So let, let's let's step back for a second and go back to the we must pray one. If God is going to win the war, right? we already know that, the Lord Jesus Christ will soon crush Satan under His feet, Romans 16. If that's already going to happen, then why even pray? And um, Jesus says in Matthew 16, I will build My church. Peter, you're, you are uh, on this rock. Uh, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. John 10.16, They will hear My voice, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I bring them, and they will listen to My voice, and there will be one flock. So, in the most difficult and challenging situations, God accomplishes His purposes. He knows what's going to happen. He knows who's going to come to Christ, and He expects that we ask Him. And so, the simple answer to this question, you know, if God's going to win the war, why pray? The simple answer is because God told us to. We must pray. We need to pray for the spread of the gospel. We need to pray that the the Lord of the harvest would raise up laborers for the work of evangelism. And so God is is ready to work. God wants to work. God responds to His people praying. And so we must pray. Well, why must prayer be central to God-honoring missions? Uh. First of all, because God will not give His glory to another. We've been, uh, we're starting to see this pretty clearly in the book of Isaiah. God has ordained the work of the Gospel to go forward through prayer, and through prayer He gets glory. God is glorified and He loves to answer people's prayers. So, we get the help. Okay, We're on the battlefield. We're using prayer as this wartime walkie-talkie. And... We get the help that we need out on the battlefield and God gets the glory. He's the one sending the supplies and He ultimately gets the glory. Um, so prayer is central to God-honoring missions. And I think this is one of the reasons that we as Christians don't see God work as much as we like to see Him work is because we don't pray as much as we ought to. I think that's the way the reason that missionaries uh kind of you know um they kind of get stuck in their progress of the gospel. Now obviously, you know, we know of people like William Carey who's out in the field for 7 years and was a man of of prayer and um and yet never saw a convert until I think he baptized his first convert in in uh, after 7 years. So Obviously, God is still accomplishing things through prayer. We can't guarantee the results because of our prayer. I mean, think of Isaiah. He's told to go to a place, to a people who aren't going to listen. They're going to be ever hearing but never perceiving, ever seeing but never, or ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. Perceiving. So, so it's like Isaiah, go here. They're not going to listen to you. But but just preach my word, and God has a purpose in it. So, God's still accomplishing things, but maybe not exactly as as we want. All right, continue to move quickly. The nature of prayer, uh, it ought to be offensive. Um, not as that, that causes offense, but, but it ought to be on the offense. It not, ought to be not necessarily reactionary, but knowing that God is concerned with the spread of the gospel around the world, we are going on the offense. We're using the sword of the Spirit as the... Uh, the helmet of let's see which which one is the 
praying. I think it is. I think the way we use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we do it with all praying, right? We, Ephesians 6, we do it by praying. This is the way we use the Word of God. We do it through our prayer. We, use, we go on the offensive. We also pers- we need to persevere in prayer. I mean, have you ever had a time in your life where you just were so distraught because it seemed like, or disheartened because things were not going as you thought they should go? And then God did something wonderful. You know, think of the people who were praying for missions in China in 1949 when the communists took over. They thought that the church of China would be lost and that all the Christians would be killed and removed from the country. And and yet, we know that, that um, you know, some several decades later, that the church of God in Jesus, the, the church of Jesus Christ in in the country of China is vibrant and growing. And much of that has been the underground. And uh, so there's been great fruit. We shouldn't despair when we we think that the things aren't going as they should. We need to persevere in prayer. Then we need to be informed, know how we can pray for others. When we know the needs of other people, um, it's easier for us to pray. In fact, I think it, it uh, encourages us to pray. And then, fourthly, um, we need to be confident in prayer knowing that God is sovereign and He will accomplish His purposes. He will answer our prayers according to His good good desires, good good will, what He has chosen for us. So how do we grow in prayer for missions? Number one, realize that, that prayer for missions is a duty. It's a responsibility for mature and balanced Christians. Now, that that doesn't sound very appealing, but uh, you know, that's a duty. I have to, I have to do this. But again, think back to the wartime analogy. I think that's an excellent way to think about what we're doing in this life. We're out on the battlefield, and if, if we're, you know, if we're if we're a mature Christian, we're for a mature warrior out there on the battlefield. Don't we know kind of what happens here? Don't we know what's supposed to happen here on the battlefield? That we're supposed to be talking to our commanding officer, and that the way that he supplies what are what is needed out on the front lines is through somebody communicating to him or lots of people communicating to him and that's what we ought to be we ought to be people who who pray and we should never minimize um, our prayer as if it's just another thing that I, well I can't really do anything for you but I'll pray no I can pray for you uh, I I there's a lot of other things that may not be helpful but but um but I will pray for you. How about praying for the missionaries at our church? In the back of the church directory, we have the names of each of our missionary families. And you can use that list to to springboard to help you pray systematically for the, the workers who are closest to this church. Maybe work through and pray through each pray for each missionary. Specific requests for each missionary once a week. It wouldn't be too hard, it'd be one or two a day. And um and you you'd be able to have a great supportive relationship role uh, for the, these missionaries who are out on the front lines. I think we need to be praying for our missionaries. And uh, in order to do that and to do it well, I think you need to be informed about them. So all of our missionaries um, send letters about their work and that's why they're put in the bulletin so that we can know more about them and then I think this is the first time we've ever put this in the in a blank on a PowerPoint, but become friends on Facebook. Most of these missionaries 
trying to think if there if we have one that's not on Facebook. Patents, maybe? Okay, yeah. Um, so I think almost every one of our missionaries are on Facebook, and they put up, uh, Mike Jewell puts up updates on his things all the time. Archie and Ruth Perez, they they put updates on there very frequently. Joyce Oshiro. Um, so so find out about these people. Keep Interact with them. Um, comment on their statuses and, and let them know that you're praying for them when, when these things come up. It's a great way for us to, to pray. And as you get to know them, you, you're able to pray for them better. So know as much about them as you can. And one of the best ways um, to do that is to, to schedule time uh, to uh, to meet with them in person. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But before we do that, uh, it would be helpful just to ske- schedule regular times of prayer. And this kind of goes along with praying for our missionaries there, a couple up. Uh, if you don't have a regular time where you pray for mis- our missionaries specifically, and certainly you may be burdened about others, that, that's great. But I think at the very least, you need to be praying for our missionaries and you ought to be doing it regularly. So if you don't have a time where you regularly do that, then do that. Don't just pray for all of our missionaries because if God ever answers prayers, if God ever does anything in them, you won't know if He answered or not. So don't pray generally. Pray specifically. All right. And then lastly, spend time with our missionaries when they're here. They come every four or five years, some quick more often than that. Spend time with them. There's opportunities to take them out for meals. They often kind of just hang out in this area and they love to get to know people. They love to interact with them. They love to explain more about their ministry. Spend time with them. Don't expect just, you know, the pastor's going to do that. I love doing it, but but um, but um, I think it's, it would be helpful for you personally if you got to know them. Um, and then secondly, go visit them on the field. I am passionate about building de- deeper relationships with our missionaries. And one of the best ways to do that is to visit them on the field. Uh, in fact, following the morning service, um, we're going to have a meeting for those who are interested in visiting the George family in India in October. So if you're interested in that, okay, don't think about the money at this point. Don't think about all the, the things that might come in the way, the obstacles. If you're just interested in any way of going, just come come in and we'll talk about it. And um, and uh, that would be a great opportunity for you to get to know them. And I think what happens is when you get to know people, some of these other guys have been on mission trips or uh, some any of you have been on mission trips before, isn't it just more natural now to pray for these people? You feel like you have a much closer connection to them and you just want to be a part of their ministry. You want to bring them before God. I think, personally, the, I'll, I'll just tell you a little secret, but might not be one because this might be the same for you. The people that I pray about are the people that I know the most. Okay, My, my family, I pray for my family more than anybody else. And then, secondly, it's, it's this church and, and our missionaries. Those are the people I pray for the most. Now, I pray for other people outside of this church, outside of our missionaries, but those are the people I pray for the most because I know them the most. And I want to get to know them better, specifically with regard to missions. And I think that would be a great service to them as they, they work there in the field. Any questions quickly before we uh, pray and, and are dismissed? All right. A lot of material. Sorry about that. Um, but we'll uh, try to slow down a little bit next week. Probably not, but let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your grace. Thank you for the missionaries that our, churches, uh, our church supports along with several other 
of the churches in our area. And uh, we want to see you accomplish great things through them. So, Lord, do that. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to know what's going on in their lives so we can pray for them specifically. Help us to consider for ourselves uh, what it what it would cost for us to go to the field and to, to cross a culture in order to reach uh, 